Today on the Matt Wall Show, the body cam footage of Dante Wright's death has been released. Today, we're going to have the uncomfortable conversation about that footage and about Wright's death that the media refuses to have. Also, five headlines, including some bizarre and chilling footage from the press conference with the Brooklyn Center police chief. The media on camera tries to convince him in real time that the rioting he just experienced was not actually rioting. It didn't really happen. Also, the White House unveils its strategy to convince white conservatives to get vaccinated. It's as cartoonish and insulting as you might expect. And our daily cancellation will cancel the actor who uh, formerly voiced the character of Pooh on The Simpsons and who now says that he wants to apologize to each Indian person individually for that character. You know that's getting him canceled. We'll talk about that and much more today on The Matt Walsh Show. If we want to take back the culture, then that's going to start uh, first and foremost. One of, the, one, of the, one of the primary things we can do is support the companies that have morals that we agree with and that are supporting us as well in the culture. One company that fits that description is Charity Mobile, the pro-life phone company. And uh, we call them the pro-life phone company because 5% of your monthly plan price goes to the pro-life, pro-family charity of your choice. We know that the right to life is the key that unlocks other rights. It's the, it's the right that lays at the foundation of all other rights. If you don't have the right to life, you don't have anything else. And, um, and that's why we should support all pro-life phone companies, especially a great company like Charity Mobile, which also, on top of it, provides a great service. Now through April 16th, new activations get a free cell phone after instant credit plus free activation, free shipping, and a free pro-life key- keychain credit check required. Restrictions apply on that. You also get, look, there's no contracts, there's no termination fees, there's no risk with a 30-day guarantee, which means there's no reason to uh, not at least try out Charity Mobile and see how you like the service. I guarantee you're going to love it. Um, you can help to build a culture of life in America while supporting a pro-life phone company. So get the the the, uh, the provider that I use, Charity Mobile. Call them at 1-877-474-3662 or chat with them online at charitymobile.com. Rioting continued in Minneapolis last night as looters, anarchists, and other assorted scumbags took advantage of the implicit permission they've been given to steal and destroy at will. We know this is the way it works now. If there's a a, a police shooting, well, only a police shooting of a black person, of course, as we discussed yesterday, police shooting of a white person, we're not supposed to care about that, but police police shooting of a black person, what that means is that you're allowed to just go out and destroy things. That's, That's the precedent we've set now. One store that got hit especially hard was a Dollar Tree in downtown Minneapolis. The store was ransacked, vandalized, and then set on fire. Now, let's watch some brief footage of the aftermath. And even more importantly, I want you to listen to this clip. Let's listen. All right, you, I, I, did you hear that? It sounds like people laughing and joking around after they just randomly destroyed a local business for no reason. The media tells us that the people who did this are emotionally distraught, angry, striving in their own unique way for racial justice. From the look and sound of it, it seems to me that these people just thought it'd be kind of fun to steal and burn some stuff. That's it. Now, all kinds of jokes could be made here about the whole idea of looting a Dollar Tree of all places. I mean, a store that already practically gives its items away for free and you loot there. But there really isn't anything funny about it. The fact is that low-income people in that city rely on the Dollar Tree and places like Dollar Tree for household goods and groceries. The, quote, protesters decided to speak out against police brutality by once again victimizing members of their own community. 
And, and they are protesters again, of course, just, just so we know. After a brief detour on January 6, 2021, we're back now to calling rioters protesters and using euphemisms like unrest to describe the mass destruction of property. So make sure to update your language guides accordingly. Meanwhile, the police on Monday afternoon, before the second round of rioting kicked off, released the body cam footage of the attempted arrest uh, and then shooting of Dante Wright. Initial reports were that Wright was pulled over for having an air freshener in his car. This was immediately translated through the demented translation engine known as Twitter into Dante Wright having been shot by police for having an air freshener. As expected, none of this is anywhere within the vicinity of the ballpark of the truth. Not true at all. Wright was stopped for an expired registration. Not an unusual thing to be stopped for. I myself have been stopped for the same reason on more than one occasion, mostly because I have a deep phobia of sitting in the DMV and I'll put it off for as long as possible, basically until they pull me over and give me a fine. That's when I know that it's time to do it. In Wright's case, the cops, upon stopping him, found out that there was a warrant for his arrest. He was wanted on a weapons charge and had skipped his court date. Wright had a rap sheet extending beyond even that, including an arrest for aggravated robbery a few months prior. Uh, The Brooklyn Center police chief said that Wright was shot accidentally after he resisted arrest and climbed back into his car to try and escape. One of the arresting officers, a female, pulled her gun when she meant to go for her taser. Now, the body cam footage seems to fully support the claim that it was accidental. Let's, um, and this is disturbing, obviously, so I'll give you that warning, but let's watch it now. Okay, so the main reason I want to play that because if you're listening to the audio, you couldn't see what happened there. But uh, he, he, they were arresting right, and he, and he broke free, tried to get into his car. Um, but it's what you hear her say at the end. It's obvious from her reaction that she didn't mean to shoot him. You know, now that's no excuse, of course, and it wouldn't get her out of, and it, and I suspect it will not get her out of the criminal charges that are probably coming. Any officer that can't tell the difference between a taser and a gun shouldn't be on the force. That's uncontroversial. I think we all agree. Nearly everyone's on the same page on that score. And there is, I would guess, near universal agreement that she should not have made the mistake she made. Everyone agrees. She'll now be held accountable for that mistake. If we were interested in making actually useful reforms to the police, however, what we talk about now is how a female police officer who obviously can't physically subdue suspects and also isn't competent with her service weapon managed to remain on the force for, we're told now, 26 years. There's quite a a lot of talk about police reform, but this is reform, the the reform we really need, and and it's, it's the one that we don't talk about. It is a hazard to have cops on the force who can be easily overpowered by almost any male suspect that they come across. Um, And and that's going to put them in a position either where suspects get away or where they have to resort to a taser or a gun where where a more physically well-matched police officer may not have needed to use either. But again, the police reformers on the left, they don't want to have that conversation. A female police officer, 26 years on the force, 
Um, this now is a middle-aged woman. She's not going to be physically subduing anyone and obviously not competent with her, with her service weapon. 26 years she made it? But like I said, we don't want to talk about that. Even less do we want to talk about and have the conversation about Dante Wright's behavior. Now, I realize that by saying what I'm about to say, I put myself in line for all kinds of angry accusations that I'm a heartless, victim-blaming SOB and so forth. But the truth is that I actually don't want people to die. Talk about an uncontroversial view. What should be uncontroversial. I don't want people to die. I don't want people to be shot by the cops. I don't want cops to end up in the position that this female officer is now in. I don't want any of this. It's all bad. Everything about this is bad. I don't want any of it. And anyone who feels this way, who actually wants to preserve human life, along with peace and law and order while we're at it, would acknowledge the following reality, which is this. If Dante Wright had not resisted arrest, he would be alive today. Period. He was wanted on a valid warrant. Okay, this wasn't some ticky-tack thing. This, this was not him getting shot in the process of a, of a traffic stop. No. He was found in possession of a firearm. That's what the warrant was about. That according to Minnesota, Minnesota state law, he was too young to possess. Also, he has a history of drug and robbery arrests, which would probably make him ineligible for a permit, I imagine. What this all means is that he broke the law. And the police have a right and responsibility to bring him in. They were doing so peacefully without a problem, okay, until Wright pushed the officer away and tried to speed away in his car, planning, I suppose, to lead the officers on a high-speed chase with a passenger in the vehicle with him. This was a very bad plan. It is a plan with literally no possible positive outcome. If you're wanted on a warrant and then you run from the cops, absolute best-case scenario is that you end up getting apprehended a little bit later, and now you have a whole slew of new charges on top of the original one. You buy yourself maybe a few minutes of extra freedom. In exchange, you get a few years extra in prison. So best case scenario when you do what Dante Wright did there is you go to prison for longer. That's best case. Worst case is what happened to Dante Wright. There is no plausible scenario where Wright runs away and actually evades the police successfully and then lives happily ever after. That's not going to happen. It's either prison or the hospital or the morgue. The moment that Dante Wright pushed the police officers away and got back in his car, he made a decision that was absolutely guaranteed to lead to the hospital, the prison, or the morgue. No other possible options. The only outcomes when you do what Wright did. Which means that if we want young men like Wright to avoid prisons and avoid the hospitals and avoid the morgues, and I do, then our message should be, don't do that. Am I saying that Wright is partially responsible for his own death? Yes, of course he is. He made a choice, a bad choice, an illegal choice that set off a series of events which resulted in his death. Does that absolve the police officer? No. You know, two people can be responsible for an event that happens. That, 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 that is quite often the case. So she is also responsible. There's lots of responsibility to go around. But when you absolve Wright and people like Wright, when you absolve him completely, all you're doing is encouraging more Dante Wrights, which means more death and more suffering and more mothers mourning. 
You are not the compassionate one in that case. You may get to play the compassionate one on the internet or out in the streets when you're protesting, quote unquote, but in truth, you are a callous and amoral person because you don't really care. You would rather stand on Dante Wright's grave and posture that actually do and say things that might discourage the next young man from making the same self-destructive choice. But we're all expected to play this game, right? The media tells us that Dante Wright was shot during a traffic stop as if there is no difference at all between a man who gets shot in the head executed simply for going 12 miles over the limit. Like he's speeding, the cops walk over and just shoot him dead and say, that's what you get for speeding. You know, they, they, want, they want us to, to, to pretend that there's no difference between that and a wanted fugitive who, who pushes the police away and tries to speed off in his car when they're arresting him. We're supposed to see the latter scenario as identical to the former when we know that they are not identical. This is just another common sense insight that many people are hectored into pretending that they don't see or understand. And as we refuse, either due to cowardice or ideological commitments or whatever else, to acknowledge the very clear role that the George Floyds and Dante Wrights of the world play in their own demises, more and more suffer that same demise. Their lives don't actually matter to the people who do most of the screaming about how their lives matter. They're just props, chess pieces to be moved around on the board. While we all ignore the simple truths that are staring us right in the face. Now let's get to our five headlines. Now a quick word from our friends at Rock Auto. Listen, nobody likes to spend their time, waste their time traipsing around an auto parts store looking for the, the item that you want. What you're going to find is it's oftentimes not a great selection. And the one thing you can be sure of is that the prices are you know going to be more than you need to be paying or you should be paying. Especially when you could just pull out your phone, which you have on you at all times, I imagine, and go to rockauto.com. Rockauto.com always offers the lowest prices possible. They're not going to change the prices, whether you're a professional or do it yourself or wherever you're wherever you land on that spectrum. Uh, it's going to be the same price for everybody. Rockauto.com is a family business. They've been serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low. If you Find it on rockauto.com. You can be sure that whatever the price is there, you're not going to find it a better price anywhere else. So go to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck. And remember, as always, uh, when you go there to write Walsh in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you. All right. You know, I've been going through a a, um, tough time at home. There was, um, I had a a difficult moment with my daughter last week. We were sitting down on the couch. It's kind of a, kind of a parenting scare. I guess we were sitting down on the couch and uh, she turns me out of the blue and she tells me, my seven-year-old daughter, she tells me that she wants to be a vegetarian. And now the, and she didn't know the word actually at first. She said that she's, she said, daddy, what's the, the, when someone only eats vegetables? And I said, vegetarian. And she said, yeah, I want to, I'm that. That's what I want to be. Of course, I'm thinking to myself, no daughter of mine, no daughter of mine is going to be a vegetarian. But I, you know, I realized that there were, there were signs leading up to this. Like for example, uh, earlier last summer we were out, I was out fishing with her and she caught, like it was like a bluegill or something. And uh, she pulled the hook out and I guess caused some internal bleeding. It happens threw the fish back in catch and release. And the fish bobbed back up to the surface and was just laying there. Right. And then she pointed to the fish and said, daddy, why is the fish laying there? I said, oh, he's probably, uh, probably sleeping. 
you know, it took a lot out of him when you caught him. And then it started bleeding. And she said, what, but why, what's the red, st- why is it bleeding? And then I had to admit, well, he's, yeah, you, you might've killed him. It's okay though. Don't worry. She, and she was devastated by that. Absolutely devastated. I think that was the beginning of her animal rights activism. But anyway, fast forward, she tells me she's a vegetarian and I'm pretty distraught over that because I can't imagine having a vegetarian in the house. But, um, the next day, I'm talking to her again, and she tells me that uh, she decided that she's a vegetarian, but she can il- still eat chicken nuggets. So she'll make a, an exception for that. Then the day after that, she said that, well, I'm a vegetarian, but I can eat chicken nuggets, but also, of course, like sausage and bacon with breakfast. I can have that. And then each, each successive day, she started adding more meat products onto her vegetarian diet until now she's just back. She's a vegetarian who also eats meat, which is fine, which is perfectly valid. That is a self-identity that I can respect. Uh, and, and, and her trajectory of vegetarianism, I think, follows a similar tra- trajectory of, of a lot of people who, you know, announce themselves to be vegetarian. All right. Um, so, number one, the governor of Minnesota yesterday gave a press conference talking about the Dante Wright case. And um, let's listen. We'll just we'll, we'll listen in quickly to see what he has to say about this. No, nothing terribly interesting. It's a lot of what you would expect. But to me, the highlight is more what he doesn't say during the press conference. So let's take a listen. And so some of the things that we can do and and we need to be very clear about is um, this state, this community and this nation needs to have a place to grieve and to express in many places their anger that this continues to go on and their expectation that things need to be different and need to change. And so our commitment of making sure that those that are exercising their First Amendment rights and those that are asking, no, demanding that changes, changes that are happening in other states, like Maryland, we saw last week, changes that are making a difference, changes that are reducing the chance of these types of things happening. Um, We need to make sure that that space is available. And we also, though, need to hold at the same time that those that wish to do harm or destruction to property or to put people at risk, it will not be tolerated. And we have known for many months that as this trial and the focus of this nation was on this trial, that there would be those that want to do both. Those that want to bring about change, those that want to express their constitutional rights, those that are angry, heartbroken, sad, fed up, tired, all of the things that they have every reason to feel. But we also know, and we saw it again last night, those that would try and take advantage of this to create chaos or damage will mm-hmm. not be tolerated. Heartbroken. I'm so heartbroken. I have to steal these shoes. I'm just so I'm so distraught. I had, what can I do but take these shoes? It's my only solace. Right. He says it's not going to be tolerated. He said that. And then that night, they went and burned down a, a, a Dollar Tree. And well, first they stole all the stuff out of the Dollar Tree and then they burned it down. And uh, we played the video for you. They're, people are just milling around casually, laughing, having a great time. That, th- that's See, when he says we're not going to tolerate the destruction, that's what he means. What he means is um, we're, we will tolerate it, actually. You can do whatever you want. We will, uh, maybe we'll send you a sternly worded letter condemning it. Or not even really condemning it because that's a little bit strong, but uh, asking if you would consider maybe not burning down buildings in the future. But the real, and, and he went on in the, in the press conference, as I said, the real headline is what he didn't say. And um, here's one thing that he didn't say. 
what he didn't say was this shooting had nothing to do with racism, which it didn't. Clearly, there is absolutely no reason to think that this had anything to do with racism. They were arresting the guy because he had an outstanding warrant. What else are the cops going to do when you have an outstanding warrant? And, um, and then the shooting occurred when he started to resist arrest and the, and the, the cop pulled the wrong weapon. Now, at, at, if, you're, if you're suggesting that race, where does race come into play here? There is no connection to racism whatsoever. Not only has the governor not said that, but he's implied the opposite. In fact, um, right after the event happened that night, he sent out a tweet saying, this is on Sunday night, I'm closely monitoring the situation in Brooklyn Center. Gwen and I are praying for Dante Wright's family as our state mourns another life of a black man taken by law enforcement. Clearly implying that there's a connection to racism here. Another life of a black man taken by law enforcement. He included the race there for a reason, to imply that this is race-related. And all through the press conference, that's what he's doing. Once again, if you really cared about preserving human life, and, um, and certainly if you cared about law and order, then you would get up there in front of your people and you would say, as the leader, as the governor, you would say, this, had, this was a terrible thing. It had nothing to do with racism whatsoever. You know, the officer will be held accountable for the mistake that she made, which was terrible, had nothing to do with racism. Dante Wright was not killed because he's a black man. In fact, of all of the police shootings that BLM has protested, and by protested we mean um, burn, burn and destroy uh, other people's property, but of, of all those police shootings, not a single one has had any confirmed link or even plausible theoretical link to racism. Not a single one. They have been wrong about the racism link every single time. Year after year after year, incident after incident, they are wrong about that every single time. And usually they're wrong about almost everything else they say about the case also. Now, the police chief, um, I wanted to play this for you too. He's, he's uh, uh, giving his own briefing to the media. And here he is um, talking about the rioting and having the, the people in the media, the press, try to convince him to his face that he didn't actually experience the rioting that he personally experienced. Let's listen. What, what led to you to issue a dispersal order and then on the back end of that 10-minute dispersal order, then to issue out uh, CO2 canisters and gas uh, for the crowd? So, Can you talk to us about yeah, that? Just so everybody's clear, I was front and, front and center at the protest, at the, at the riot. Um, we did not... There was no okay. riot. There was. So, I was... We were being... The officers that were putting themselves in harm's way were being pelted with frozen cans of pop. They were being pelted with concrete blocks. And yes, we had our helmets on and we had other protection gear, but an officer was injured, hit in the head with a brick. brick. That was a Hennepin County deputy. He was transported to the hospital. So we had to make decisions. We had to disperse the crowd because we can't allow our officers to be harmed. And I've already answered the question, I believe, about your lighting. I know that's a that's a big deal with you, and I understand that. But I thought I'd explain that myself. So that is, I told you, it's my decision. And that's why I made that decision. There was no rioting. You could almost imagine them like a cartoon. They've got the pocket watch out, and they're hypnotizing him. And they're hoping that he has the little, you know, squirrels, swirls in his eyes. 
There was no rioting. There was no rioting. Um, no, there was. He, he was just there. His officers were hit in the head with bricks. There were buildings burned down. We just saw the footage of looting that's going on. I mean, it, it, it feels fruitless and pointless to, to, to even point out when the media is lying. But what else are we going to do but point it out? You know, let them do it and, and, and not even make the observation. But the lying here is so brazen. I, I hate to keep using the term Orwellian. It's so overused. But, it, but it, in this case, I, I, there's no other term that applies as well as that term does. Where they are lying to you about what you are seeing with your own eyes and telling you that you're not seeing what you're seeing. There was no rioting. It's, it's not even, like, they won't even do us the favor. They're insulting our intelligence so much that they think they can tell us that there was no rioting at all. Rather than a slightly more plausible lie or, or you know, taking the approach of saying, yeah, there was rioting, but it's justified for this and that reason. That is also insane and stupid and wrong, but at least you're acknowledging some of the reality in that case. Now, as it happens from the left, we actually get both of those things. On one hand, they tell us that there's no rioting. On the other hand, they tell us that, uh, well, if there is rioting, it, it's justified. It, it's not, it doesn't exist, but if it does exist, then it's, here's why it's justified. Trying to play, play both ends of it there. All right. Um, this is a report from, what is this from? NBC. And uh, let me, I'll read a little bit. It's a long report. It says, in semi-private encrypted chats, neo-Nazis and other far-right extremists planned, pr- planned rallies in dozens of cities on Sunday to promote their racist movements and spread their ideologies to larger audiences. Hyped by organizers as events that would make, quote, the whole, the whole world tremble, the rallies ran into a major problem. Hardly anyone showed up. So this was this past Sunday. The, quote, White Lives Matter rallies, the first major real-world organizing efforts by white supremacists since 2018, were planned on the encrypted app Telegram after many aligned groups were alleged to have taken place, uh, taken part in the, uh, in the January 6th storming of the U.S. Capitol. The poor showing underscores how the country's unpopular and disorganized extremist movements have been driven underground by increased scrutiny from media, law enforcement agencies, and far-left activists who infiltrate their private online spaces and disrupt their attempts to communicate and organize. Okay, so, and it goes on, it goes on forever after that. But the point is, this is NBC spiking the football because there was uh, supposed, quote-unquote, white supremacist rallies that were, that were going to happen on, Wednesday, on Sunday. Now, I don't know anything about these rallies at all. I never heard of them. Like, like, like anyone else, like the first you hear about it is from the media. So I don't know who was involved in organizing it. No clue. Um, and, and this, you really can't do this, but taking their word for it, that there actually were quote unquote white supremacist rallies being planned in the first place. Let's just assume we can believe the media, which I don't believe anything they say, but then even by their own admission here, what they're telling us is that the white supremacists can't even get hardly anyone to show up for a rally. Okay, And yet, at the same time, they want us to believe that white supremacy is the number one threat we face as a society. 
once again, trying to have it both ways. There's no rioting, but the rioting is justified. And here, uh, look at these uh, look at these crazy white supremacists. Uh, they, they, they can't even get anyone out to their rallies. Also, they're a major threat, and um, and it's the number one problem we face as a society. Like, which is it? Are these b- a bunch of fringe, wacko morons who can't even organize a rally? Or should we be living in fear of these people because white supremacy uh, infiltrates every aspect and every institution of our society? It seems to me that it sort of has to be one or the other, doesn't it? Now, as it happens, I think the way that it's presented in this particular NBC article, NBC News article, is, is much closer to the truth. White supremacy is not a real problem in the United States. The number of actual professed white supremacists, this is another reason we have to be careful because we also know that the media, they call everything white supremacy. And they also think that any conservative is white supremacist. So when they say a white supremacist group was planning a rally, I don't know what they mean. I don't know if they mean just a normal conservative group or actual white supremacists. I have no idea. But when it comes to actual white supremacists, the numbers are so low and it is so fringe that uh, it's not an issue. It's not something we really have to worry about. This is not a real problem in society. The, 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 the white supremacy has become, and we get this even from this particular NBC News article, it's become the most delusional moral panic that our society has seen in probably modern American history. The left is going around everywhere. They, they, they think they see white supremacy around every corner. There are white supremacists lurking everywhere. Meanwhile, there's, there's like 10 of them. And they can't even show up for a rally. No, racial supremacy in America is a problem. But it's not white supremacy. That's not the kind of racial supremacy that's gone mainstream. And that's not the kind of racial supremacist movement that can attract thousands of people out into pretty much any American city. And those are not the kinds of racial supremacists that are burning down buildings across the country. Um, let's see. If you're, if, you're, uh, you know, if you're out there right now thinking about getting back to life, eating and drinking in public again and all that, Dr. Fauci wants you to know that he does not approve. You must cease and desist immediately with your eating and uh, your speaking and other kinds of revelry and frivolity. You have to stop that immediately. He does not approve. Here he is explaining why. What is your message tonight to both vaccinated and unvaccinated Americans as to what they should and should not be doing right now? For example, eating and drinking indoors in restaurants and bars. Is that okay now? No, it's still not okay for the simple reason that the level of infection, the dynamics of infection in the community are still really disturbingly high. Like just yesterday, there were close to 80,000 new infections, and we've been hanging around 60, 70, 75,000. So if you're not vaccinated, please 
get vaccinated as soon as vaccine becomes available to you. And if you are vaccinated, please remember that you still have to be careful and not get involved in crowded situations, particularly indoors where people are not wearing masks. And for the time being, until we show definitively that a person who's vaccinated does not get this subclinical infection and can spread to others, you should also continue to wear a mask for the time being. Okay, so once again, you can't you can't do that. You can do it, but it, it's not going to have the effect you're hoping. When you say to all Americans, please get vaccinated. And by the way, when you do get vaccinated, stay locked in your home and uh, live in fear of crowded spaces and don't go out to eat and don't live your normal life. <laughs> the rest of that sentence, you know, it negate the, 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 uh, the end of that sentence negates the first part of it. The only, the only vaccination message, and we'll get to it here in a second, uh, the Biden administration and what they're, how they're going about convincing people to get vaccinated, especially conservatives. We'll play that in a second. But I can tell you, the only message that will really convince people to run out and get vaccinated is, is if you're saying, get vaccinated and get back to your normal life. And not get vaccinated or we won't allow you to get back to, to your normal life. Because when you add that compulsion into it, that's going to backfire. And it should. No, if you're speaking... Look, if you're dealing with people who just really aren't that worried about the coronavirus, then they're probably not going to be vaccinated. There's nothing you can say there. But if, you're, when you, if we're talking about a, a, a segment of the population that has been concerned about the coronavirus, yet they're hesitant about the vaccine, and you want them to get vaccinated, then the message to them is get vaccinated, get back to normal life. You know, then get, back, get vaccinated, and now you don't have to be concerned anymore, and you can get back to normal life. Not because we're forcing it, but just because now you don't have to have those concerns. As I've said many times, I, my opinion on whether or not people should get vaccinated is I don't have an opinion. That's a decision you have to make on your own. I don't, I don't, I don't, I, when I look at some other person, I don't have an opinion about what shots they should go out, go to the doctor and get. Entirely their choice. But if you're in the camp of we want to convince people to get vaccinated, then this is the only message. Uh, certainly, it cannot be the message that we get from Jen Psaki in the White House. Let's listen. We're also investing $3 billion to states and community-based organizations to th- strengthen vaccine confidence in the highest risk and hardest hit communities. And often people uh, think of that as just black and brown communities, and that is not. As you've noted, that is also conservative communities, white evangelicals. It's a range of communities around the country. What we found to be most effective is to work with these local organizations. So faith-based organizations, community health organizations, civic leaders, and others who can really get this message deeply um, in communities. We've also had a number of our um, members of our COVID team from Dr. Fauci and uh, and Dr. Collins uh, participate, as an example, participate in a range of media interviews. You know, an example is Dr. Collins participated in the 700 Club. Dr. Nunez-Smith hosted a Faith Leaders Roundtable. We're also looking for, we've run PSAs on the deadliest catch. We're engaged with NASCAR and country music TV. We're looking for a range of creative ways to get directly connected to white conservative communities. We won't always be the best messengers, but we're still trying to meet people where they are, but also empower local organizations. We're engaged with NASCAR, country music, TV, the deadliest catch. 
Well, hot dog, I seen that there PSA on the country music television. Guess I'm going to go get me a vaccination. That's, a, that's what they imagine as conservatives. That's what they imagine we're, we're doing. We're just waiting for a, a country music star to tell us. And then we'll go get that vaccination. Now, how about instead of treating people like morons, speak to them like adults and have the message I just said before. Get the vaccination, get back to your normal life. Though, as I said, that's going to be difficult for someone like me because I've been living my, my normal life this entire time. But uh, for those who haven't, that might be the best way to approach it. Okay, let's go to reading the YouTube comments. This is from Jay Moran. He says, uh, I'm uncomfortable with the fact that every time there's an officer involved shooting, the public just casually accepts that a riot will follow. The world is laughing at us. This, this, yes, this is one of the many intolerable, unacceptable things that we are being told we have to just tolerate and accept. I agree with you there. Um, William Harper says, same situation Matt describes here with the police happened to me about uh, 21 years ago. A cop got behind me and turned on his lights. We were on an overpass, so I slowed down and waited till we were off the overpass to stop about a third to a half of a mile. He ordered me out of a car, handcuffed me, took me in and charged me with felony fleeing with $10,000 bond. One and a half year later, one and a half years later, uh, two lawyers, 30 hours of community service and $1,500, the charges were dropped. Cops can be jerks and can make your life difficult for doing very little wrong sometimes. Yeah, well, that's I, I, I said yesterday I had a I had a situation like that where I waited too long to pull over uh, because I thought it was the right thing to do. I learned that it wasn't. But uh, my experience was I got the speeding ticket and I went about my day. You had a much worse experience. Um but all this goes to show, right, that, yeah, there are cops out there that are jerks. No question about it. There are also cops out there that will try to violate your rights. There's also no doubt about that. But I'm sure you would agree, William, that if you had tried to fight this injustice by punching the police officer, then your problems would have been a hell of a lot worse. Instead, you fought it in court, which is the right place to fight it. And it... It's, it's annoying. It's worse than annoying. You've got to spend a lot of money. It's probably, rather than annoying, it's infuriating. But you're in a situation now that you don't want to be in. Nothing you could do about that. Now you have to think, what's the best way of getting out of this situation? 100% of the time, the best way is through the court system. That's, that is the best of all of the not great options, right? And sometimes in life, we are faced with a, with a, you know, there's a fork in the road and neither option is great. But one is a lot worse than the other. Um, Shun Chi says, a much better argument I make as a Mexican-American all the time. Mexican-Americans are killed by cops at the same rate. Why are they now, why are they, are there now Brown Lives Matter riots? Because we know they probably were doing something stupid and got themselves shot. And we believe in family and hard work. Case closed. Well, no, I think, um, you know, Mexican-American, th- th- that's always an interesting category uh, racially because from the media's perspective and the left, whether or not you get included, you know, as white or as a person of color, it, it really depends on your usefulness to the left's agenda. That's kind of how that works. Um, and... Uh, William says, our culture has lost a healthy sense of shame for shameful conduct. Yeah, this is absolutely one of the major problems that we face. That there, there are a lot of people in this country who 
through conditioning, they simply don't feel the kind of shame that they should feel when they do shameful things. And that's why they'll, you know, you go in, loot a dollar store, you're on camera the whole time, waving to the camera. Not only should you be worried about prosecution, well, I guess maybe you shouldn't be worried about that in Minneapolis because they're not going to prosecute you. But at the, at the least, you should feel ashamed of this. This is a shameful, embarrassing thing. You're, you're, you're taking advantage of the death of a young man to steal from a, a dollar tree where poor people go to buy their groceries. Aren't you ashamed of that? No, not capable of shame. And finally, uh, another comment says, the experts say Matt Walsh has the best bo- podcast of all time. I also happen to be the experts. Well, thank you for that. And this is why I always say, or have not always said, but will now say, in this one case, trust the experts. I've been telling you about my friends over at constitutioncoach.com for the last several weeks, and you've only got a few more days, really, to get signed up for their next class. Uh, And you're going to want to do that because constitutioncoach.com, they have a a lot of great programs for equipping citizens to defend liberty by studying and living out the Constitution. Uh, it's one thing to just carry a gun around, but if you're going to own a gun or carry a gun, whatever, whatever the case may be, um, you, you need to learn how to use it. You need to learn about that gun. That's uh, our responsibility. That's what we all should be doing. With Constitution Coach, with the Constitutional Defense Course, you get an amazing combination of intellectual ammunition in live classes with Rick Green, America's Constitution Coach, and then you also get the physical training at the premier firearms training facility in the nation. The physical training is really important. I've done it myself took me to a whole new skill level, but the intellectual training is just as important. And also important is the um, the fellowship that you get with like-minded people when you're at these classes. Don't just get a gun, learn how to carry with confidence and get the training that you need to defend your family. Go to constitutioncoach.com. Rick and the Constitution Coach team have another class on April 25th. It's filling up fast though, so go now. Don't waste another second. Go to constitutioncoach.com. Well, it's already episode five, and uh, we can't get enough of Candace Owens or her new show, Candace. If you haven't checked it out yet, I don't know what you're waiting for. The fearless thought leader hosts a lively uh, panel every week with, with interesting guests, interviews, her signature cancel corner. It's a lot of fun. The show streams on Fridays, 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central at dailywire.com. But you can also get the audio podcast, Candace, on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. So if you need some Candace Owens in your podcast feed, make sure to go and download the podcast. And as always, leave a Five-star review if you like what you hear. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. Today we're going to cancel Hank Azaria. He's an actor best known for his work on The Simpsons, a show which stopped being funny um, in 1998, I'd say, but has lingered on since then, wandering through the hillside, way past its expiration date, half dead, flesh rotting, slowly decomposing like a zombie or, you know, Joe Biden. Now, Azaria's most beloved character was that of Apu, the Indian-American owner of uh, Quickie Mart in the show. This character caused really no controversy for about 25 years. There's no reason why it should have caused controversy. Yes, the character was a stereotype, but then every character on The Simpsons is a stereotype. That's where the majority of the humor comes from on the show, or came from at least, back when the show had humor. As stereotypes go, it was not a particularly negative one. Apu is hardworking, lovable, charming. He wasn't a dumb oaf like Homer, the stereotype of a white suburban dad. He wasn't a miserly, decrepit old coot like Mr. Burns, the stereotype of a rich white geezer. He was uh, one of the more positive and flattering characters on the show. And that's how he was viewed by most people until a few years ago when we decided that it was offensive. Or more precisely, when I say we decided, one guy decided that it was offensive and made a whole documentary called The Problem with a Pooh, explaining why it offended him. 
Now, the appropriate response when someone makes a documentary to complain about a cartoon character that offended him is some mixture of confused glaring and derisive laughter. But The Simpsons' reaction eventually was to apologize and to get rid of the character entirely. And that brings us to Hank Azaria, who eventually stepped down from the role and has been on an apology tour to make amends ever since. He desperately wants people to forgive him for playing this character. Recently, he appeared on a podcast called Armchair Expert, hosted by Dax Shepard and uh, someone named Mona. The conversation inevitably turned to the Apu controversy, and the discussion, discussion became perhaps, perhaps the most cancelable thing that I have ever canceled on this show. This conversation that you're about to hear snippets of is excruciating, but also instructive. So we have to endure it together. We'll get through this together, at least, at least part of it. So first, I want you to hear how Dax, the host, sets up the conversation. I want you to listen to this. Okay, so one thing we have to talk about, which I don't think you'll be afraid to talk about at all, but people who listen to this show obviously probably be aware of this. And obviously, Monica is also Indian, so this is a great person to be involved in this conversation. What I know of your response based on the movie, there was a movie, right? The Problem with Apu? Yes, which was a documentary film calling out the character of Apu and my voicing of it. Yeah. And man, you want to talk about if it were me, the temptation I would have to defend myself because I would feel like someone was calling me personally a racist and my identity would be on the line. Like I'll fight to the death to prove to you I'm not a racist. The fact that your response was such that the maker of the film publicly thanked you for how you responded to it. Again, to bring it all back to AA, I mean, it has to be in the mix, right? Like, can you make that response without the work you've done? Listen to the language there. I would fight to the death to prove I'm not a racist. And he would. This stands in contrast to my own approach as someone who won't even like fight you in a thumb war to prove I'm not a racist. I won't, I literally won't lift a finger to prove I'm not a racist. I won't do a single thing at all to prove I'm not a racist. And that's because I'm not a monkey with a tambourine marching around and making noises at your behest. I'm not a a puppet dancing on your string. I'm not a dog barking on command. Whatever analogy you prefer, it's not my job to prove anything to you. And I don't care to. I'm not going to be held hostage by the bogus labels you throw at me. And considering the fact that all white people are called racist for literally everything we do and say all the time, the term has lost all meaning and power. I don't care when people try to pin it on me. It doesn't mean anything. It has no impact. And this is how you really neutralize the labeling tactic. If somebody says, you're racist, and you break down in tears like Dax here, begging them, screaming, no, I'm not. I swear I'm not. Please believe me, I'm not. They already win, and you already lose. The whole point of them calling you that was to get exactly that reaction, which is why it frustrates them so much when they say, you're racist, and you respond with a yawn and say, oh, you think so? Okay. Well, you're not going to deny it. They don't know what to do with that. You're, you're not following the script and you shouldn't. But Dax does. There are a lot of people like Dax out there. Many of them named Dax as it happens. People whose identities are so tied up in and dependent upon approval from mainstream society that they can't bear losing it. To lose that approval would be an act of suicide in their minds. You know, to, to, to accept the fact that people are calling you racist to them, to someone like Dax, that is like committing suicide. It would be to lose everything that gives their lives meaning and value. 
This makes them very easy to control and manipulate. And you hear that through the rest of this interview. These two grown men, you know, using the language of, of 19-year-old blue-haired feminist dance theory majors. That's what they sound like. And, and, and groveling constantly to the woman on the show, Mona, who is apparently Indian. But let's listen to some of that. If, if we can stomach it, here they are groveling and proving, again, how not racist they are uh, in, in their discussion with, uh, with the, the Indian uh, woman on the show. Let's listen. Congratulating me for the response because I have a big part in creating the problem to begin with. So nothing takes that away, except maybe an amends over time, which I'm attempting to make. But, and I'm interested to hear, Monica, I'd love to, I don't want to put you on the spot, nor do I want to put you in no. the position of a person of color having to like uh, talk about any of this. Be the mouthpiece, yeah. May no. or may not want to, but. Well, if this goes perfect, she'll be consoling us by the end of this, which is the, the greatest <laughs> pleasures a marginalized person can have. I'm is hoping to, to bring a very, <laughs> take a side back door into white fragility and you take care of me. <laughs> <laughs> Listening to that, I was half expecting both of these guys to strip off their shirts, fall to their knees, and start doing this. Apparently he thinks black lives matter. I don't know if you if you picked up on that. If virtue signaling ever becomes an Olympic sport, we will have some of the best competitors on the globe, no doubt. I can say that much, at least. Speaking of virtue signaling, Hank Azaria uh, went on to explain how he came to the conclusion that the cartoon character he voiced was racist. This involved, among other things, attending seminars. Listen. So I needed to educate myself a lot because on the one hand, I didn't want a knee-jerk respond to like what could have been... I'm like, is this 17 hipsters in a microbrewery in Brooklyn just deciding? Exactly. Or is this like a real thing? Is this like indicative? I know it's just a cartoon character, but is this representative of, of an example of a, a true example of structural racism, at least as it relates to show business in this country? And so I needed to look at my part. So I went and learned. I read and I talked to people. I talked to a lot of Indian people. I talked to a lot of people who knew a lot about racism in this country. I took seminars. I read. I kind of went back and forth and back and forth. And I know from program to keep my mouth shut until I have some idea of what the hell I'm talking about. Now, I'm disappointed that uh, he doesn't provide more details on the racist cartoon seminars. Are these... The same seminars that explain how Pepe Le Pew promotes rape culture. Maybe they need to have a whole separate event to cover that subject. I don't know. In any case, Azaria's main concern seems to be that um, he's contributed to spreading the stereotype about Indian people owning convenience stores. When he talks about that in the interview, what he doesn't understand is that such a stereotype would exist even without The Simpsons. I mean, they didn't create it. They simply remarked on it. They noticed it. Why? Because lots of Indian people own convenience stores. So what? Why is that an insult? Why is it a problem to acknowledge that? How is it even a negative stereotype? That's a tough line of work. It takes intelligence and competence to be successful. Especially when you have uh, these scumbags running in and burning it down. 
the real stereotype here is that Indian people came to this country and immediately became entrepreneurs. Oh, the horror. How offensive. How offensive to accuse them of being uh, industrious. Now, admittedly, the the Indian woman on the show, Mona, explains later in the show that the, the stereotype is only part of the problem. The other problem is representation. So she says that if there was an Indian person in every show, then Apu may not have been as much of a problem. But as it happens, Indian people don't appear very often on American television, and, uh, and she attributes that, of course, to racism. But you know what I attribute that to? Most Indian people don't become actors because they don't want to be actors. Many become business owners, doctors, engineers. Is that a problem? She's worried about representation in Hollywood. And by the way, Indian people have their own Hollywood, too, and it makes billions of dollars a year. But her concern is representation on American sitcoms and stuff like that. What she doesn't explain is where we should siphon from in order to get these Indian actors. Right? I mean, if you want a bunch more Indian actors, then you you need more Indian people to become actors. Uh, we, We need a lot of Indian people who are doing other things right now to become actors in order to get the representation that she wants. So should we pull some of those Indians, those Indian surgeons out of their jobs? Grab some of those Indian scientists and tech people. Two of my best friends growing up were Indian. Both, both now extremely successful in their careers, married, you know, living the American dream. Should I recruit them to become voice actors on cartoon shows instead? By the way, notice how Mona is worried about representation in Hollywood, but she isn't worried about the lack of Indian representation among, say, I don't know, garbage collectors. That's the funny thing about the people who scream about representation. The representation demands that they make are very specific and quite arbitrary and based on their own personal subjective priorities. The feminists, too. They, they, you never, ever hear them complain about the lack of female garbage collectors and roofers. And by the way, I've like never seen a female garbage collector or roofer. No one ever complains about that. Why? Because the people doing the complaining don't think that those jobs are important or worthy. They think it's much more important to be on on TV. I don't think that they do. Be all that as it may, Hank Azaria is still racked with guilt. Indeed, he he says in the interview that he wants to apologize to every Indian person individually. He actually says that. And you better get to it. There are about 1.3 billion of them, last I counted. So he's got his work cut out for him. And, you know, maybe this would be a good way for him to spend the rest of his life. He can fly to India and, uh, you know, walk through the towns and countrysides apologizing to each Indian person for voicing a cartoon character. He can especially, I think he should, he should start, actually, by going into the slums in the cities, um, find people in squalid, impoverished, destitute conditions, starving, dying, in need of basic human necessities. And, and, and you know, he can go up to someone like that. He can lean down to them and say, I am so, so sorry for that cartoon character. And they can look up at him, and in their eyes, he will perhaps see himself for the utterly ridiculous person that he is. And with any luck, they'll look back at him and say, among other things, you're canceled. Because he is. Today, anyway. And we'll leave it there. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. 
We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Walsh Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Production manager, Pavel Vodasky. The show is edited by Sasha Tolmachov. Our audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair makeup is done by Nika Geneva. And our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. Squish Governor Asa Hutchinson takes Breitbart's maxim that politics is downstream of culture to an absurd extreme. Major corporations collude to undermine election integrity. And a new shooting sparks more riots. Check it out on The Michael Knowles Show.